Hello, I'm Casey Neal. You're listening to Radio 8-Ball with Andras Jones. Radio 8-Ball, give us a shake. We're in the studio tempting fate. Wherever you are putting questions to the songs which we will randomly select here with the help of our friend Synchronicity. Now it's time for Radio 8 Ball. Give us a shake. Radio 8 Ball. Give us a shake. It's the Radio 8 Ball Show. Welcome back to Radio 8 Ball, the show where we answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions like picking musical tarot cards. I'm your host, Andras Jones, hanging out in Skylar's basement in Olympia, Washington, right next to the beautiful Freemasonic graveyard that uh, abuts this, this wonderful little house we're hanging in. And we're hanging out here with singer and songwriter David Rovix. Hello. He is, his songs are providing <laughs> the oracle fodder for our musical divinations. And we have been getting this, yeah, for listeners to this show, if you ever thought, you know, these shows are a little bit light, well, not the case here. This now is just, just getting down. One intense question after another. And now we're joined by someone who is a local activist, someone who uh, was my landlord for a short period of time. <laughs> And someone who's a longtime Olympian and a fan of David Rovix. Welcome to Radio 8 Ball, Rick Fellows. Yeah, thank you very much. Now, fans of the show may rec- may uh, know that in the past I've told the story about when I, I lost a... Uh, basically, I found myself hitting some kind of a rock bottom and uh, found myself without a place to live and not and without a job and not really knowing where I was going and Rick has a beautiful well, people have heard me talk about living in a shack in a house and uh, behind a house in Olympia Washington and it the shack makes it sound pretty bad and I tried to say it's a, it was a nice shack it's very it was supposed to be a, a sauna yeah it was supposed to be a sauna it's a cedar it smells like cedar inside and it's just really I, it was a it was a beautiful six months that I spent in your backyard Rick Rick was was kind enough to to open his his backyard to me and it was give our me a pleasure. place to stay it was it was great it was uh, I'm I'm happy with the place I ended I ended up but I will always look back on those six months with a great deal of fondness so thank you I like having you on having you here so I can thank you in front of all my friends who listen to the show but uh, but that's you're not here as a landlord heavens no you you fight the landlords. <laughs> We call uh, them housemates. <laughs> right, right. So there's so much that you've been involved in as an activist in Olympia. But I'm curious, where have you crossed paths with David Rovix? All the frontline anti-globalization demonstrations for years we're, uh, and other places like, you know, frontline things. Miami. But even long uh, before the, all, uh, oh. that move, the global justice movement kicked off, which Rick and I were both really involved with, we met uh, certainly when I was a, a briefly for a few months a student at Evergreen in 94. Uh, as, as, but, I'm, but I'm sure we met before then, some, for somehow mm-hmm. or other. I can't remember. Something around the Cuba. It must have had to do with the, uh, the uh, Pastors for Peace Cuba caravan 
somewhere along the line. Yeah, I think I knew you before you were famous. <laughs> I visited you. You're living in a, a RV at, uh, at Burnell. Burnett, what do you call that place? John uh, that, that we used to call the junkyard? Yes. The junkyard, he, John. hated it, but that's what we called it. It was with yeah. affection. It, we, it's we a recycling it center. Way. It was a beautiful place. <laughs> I loved living there, but the, the place I lived in was actually falling apart. I mean, literally falling apart. Like the mm -hmm. walls, you, you could lean against the wall. And it yeah, wet and Yeah, totally damn yeah. mold. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I had a good time. I was too young to care about the mold. But I think we kept showing up at a lot of the same places over the years, so yes. and there's major demonstrations going on and things like that. Do you have any any other particular like memory of seeing Dave? David just on those front lines, a particular song he sang that inspired you, or a particular mm -hmm. event that you were at where you just thought, "Wow, music made the difference there." I remember David playing as the 110 busloads of, of uh, union uh, steelworkers mostly filed out of the Coliseum uh, just in time to miss the riot cops plowing everybody down on the streets of Miami. It was uh, quite horrible. a scene. It was very surreal. And we had to leave shortly after, but we left uh, and David was playing to practically a, an empty stadium while the riot scene was going on outside we had to go on our way out of Miami the sidewalk between the sidewalk and the street was lined shoulder to shoulder with people with plastic handcuffs lined up like sardines and it went on and on I think we drove 10 minutes wow. there were so many people lined up shoulder to shoulder uh, arrested with plastic handcuffs on the way out of there so uh, David was a part of like a pretty interesting scene that I witnessed in Miami um, and what year what was this? 2003. 2003. November, I believe. Right? That yeah. was such a surreal... Uh, the, getting into the stadium that was virtually empty where I played before, like, all the steel workers had left and, and like, this event is supposed to ha be happening in the stadium and... And I was, for some reason, like being a musician, I was just like, I have to get to the gig, you know, like without thinking about what's the reality here. What is the situation? You know, I just knew I'm supposed to be in there. And uh, and this, and apparently I was so convincing that the police let me through because I said I've, I'm hired, but I have to do a gig. <laughs> they actually let me in. They weren't letting anybody in. And then I got in and I was like, oh. What was the point of that? There's only 200 people in this 10,000-seat auditorium or an amphitheater, and there's 200 people in there who somehow or other got in, including me, and it was like, what is the point? But then the sound system was so loud, you could hear mm -hmm. it outside, right? It was amplified enough that all those steel workers, even going down the bank on the other side, could all hear quite well. It was all well amplified, yeah. Wow. So from in there, I was hearing the police attacking everybody. I was hearing like the screams, the you know everything that was going on, and... <laughs> But mm -hmm. I, and knowing they can probably hear me, you know. Yep. So, but I, like, so bizarre. So I just kept on singing and thinking, like, okay, I'll, I'll just do a soundtrack for the tear gas. That's. But, I mean, that's. Like I guess say that's. That's. It shows a certain kind of. Uh, I don't know, my feel like the, some artists would be on that stage and be thinking, well, they can, wouldn't think, oh, they can hear me out there. They would think, why? Either why am I here, or why am I not out there? Or this sucks, but to to sort of be there, and sort of like like Jimi Hendrix playing to nobody at the end of Woodstock, have the presence of mind to say nope, and what my job is, I'm going to deliver, and then finding out after the fact 
oh, this was one of my greatest shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Then we also ran into each other in New Orleans, I believe, after Katrina. I was down there volunteering with Common Ground a couple times. I went down for 11 weeks, a couple twice. Oh, great. I think I remember seeing you down. Could be. I didn't make it there until the following spring, I think. Yeah. Uh, so, well, I was. Yeah. I believe I saw you there. There was still too. chalk on the chalkboards at the, at the, at the church where uh, people had been writing the names of survivors on the. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was still there. It was, but it was few, several months after that I finally made it there. Uh, me and George Bush both flew over New Orleans <laughs> <laughs> around the same time in different directions. He yeah. was heading towards California. I was heading towards Lebanon. It was a strange place to be when you're hearing about this, a city being destroyed and you're in a city that had been destroyed by other means. And, yeah. yeah, and uh, and. What's on your, what's on your agenda right now? What are you? What's your, you know, the cause that has you fired up, where you're being, you, your activism is being called your latest mission. Um, <clears throat> I'm looking for opportunities. I uh, I've got some, you know, long-term things I was involved with that I'm not anymore. So I'm sort of looking for new engagements. I'm trying to hook up with people that are doing you know, network building and alliance building to, you know, build stronger people's movements in the U.S. Like I went down to uh, San Francisco recently with a busload of people from Bellingham, Seattle, Portland, Eugene, with a was a group called Gut Green, and they're part of a network of Solidarity to Solutions, and they brought 40,000 people out on the streets of, on Market Street in San Francisco. Yeah. It's a counter-demonstration to the Global Climate Summit that Jerry Brown was putting on, oh, yeah. which is a very corporate thing. Mm-hmm. And so we had actions on different days, and on one day we had an action where we... Uh, compelled them to allow in some indigenous representatives, some rainforest people of uh, the Andean, Andes, uh, and uh, they were allowed in to, to the conference uh, as we were, you know, demanding at the, at the gates. And then on the 13th of September, we shut down both entrances to the Global Climate Summit and denouncing it as basically a corporate trade show. Where they're, you know, they're negotiating indigenous people's lands without the indigenous people there, you know, stuff like that. That's just very condescending, paternalistic approach to, to carbon trading, you know, where where global corporations could be negotiating other people's territories. Right. How did I not? You, so you guys actually ch- shut down the meetings for a day, and this was, I mean, I, I well, pay a lot of attention to the was, media. This was nowhere in there. It was more like a token shutdown of oh, the I entrance, see. just sort of like a calling coup, like making a statement okay. type of thing. They they didn't block people in. Not and like for hours or something no. like that. Uh, well, it went on for an hour. or There was a lot of huh? police action, and Amy Goodman was right there at the line of people blocking. Um, so it was kind of fun to watch. <laughs> I like that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I didn't. I, I got a little bit of uh, uh, coverage. But it's amazing how you have a protest nowadays against Trump, and it gets like wall-to-wall coverage. And if it's about anything else, uh, you know, protesting Jerry Brown's climate, so I mean, that was a little bit 
in the media, but very, very little. I heard very little mm-hmm. about those protests, which it sounds like it was much bigger than anything that I, mm-hmm. you know, heard. But, you know, frankly, I, you know, don't want to really, I mean, after being in Olympia, it was really refreshing to be a part of a youth-led, youth, women, youth of color-led movement, which is about networking and movement building and, and you know, yeah, and because I feel like so, it's, there's a little bit too much of the social justice movement that is a little bit more about just categorizing everybody and spending mm-hmm. all their time dealing with people's categories. Yeah, which uh, you know I got to mention because I think it's just really refreshing to people that see that there's more that there's really grievous issues that we really need to network around and build movements around. It has to do like with the corporate power. Of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> power of corporations to determine all of our futures. You know, and how are people of color or women of color or anything like that represented in media? It's about corporations. It's about corporate power. That's right. You know, more than it's about just specific categories of people, you know. And not to get into any specific cases, but I, you are touching on this, and it does. This has been what you're talking about: this categorization and how we deal with issues of intersectionality. Uh, something we discussed earlier. That is something that uh, that we're we're touching on generally. So maybe is there a way? Again, because we all in Olympia, I'll say myself, <laughs> currently, we all. It's a small town. We rub up against each other. People, it's, it can be a very reactionary town, and I don't want to engage any particular controversies that aren't my own. But can you speak to anything in the dynamics, or that you are that that you see as different here? Because I do think that Olympia is a strange beast. We uh, sort of like we're so far ahead of ourselves that we're behind ourselves, maybe. Uh, we're so trying so hard to be conscious that we're killing our neighbors, something like that. But, but for you, is there something that you've been that you've experienced or noticed in the last, say, year or st- or two or three that is different that makes it so that you feel more at home in a group of activists in a place where you're not from than in the place where you are from? Well, I think that there's been a lot of tension in Olympia over uh, things that have happened at Evergreen and at Media Island and now at the co-op and things like that. And it's, you know, a little bit reflective of things that are going on in movements in general around the country. Um, I think it's hard for people to work together these days. Um, There's a lot of issues that come up. And I think that academia can be a little out of touch with the real world. Like, once you learn that you need to go into institutions and, and challenge the categories of the people in leadership and things like that, um, well, where do you go when you get out of college? You go to the nonprofit sector because the nonprofit sector is welcoming that and looking for that. They want to be diverse and they want to have, represent, you know, uh, incorporate the issues of uh, marginalized people and all of that. So, um, you know, but it turns out to be a person of such and such category that does the newsletter and they get called out for dominating the newsletter because they're of this category. But what happens is that you no longer have the newsletter. 
mm-hmm. right? So that kind of thing is going on around the country where, uh, you know, people construe volunteer positions as power positions and things yeah. like that within the nonprofit sector or people are trying, I don't know. Oh, Just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can tell I'd love to to, to have conversation. I, I should have just a regular interview. If I knew, if I could just have guests like you, I just have an interview show. But this <laughs> is a this is a pop oracle show. So, what is your question for the pop oracle? Oh, I have to come up with a question. Yeah, I told you I didn't prepare. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I can. I can um, well. Uh, question for the, something pertinent huh, to maybe about what we've been talking about yeah why not um well uh let's see i don't know whether to ask when or how um well how are we going to build a big enough movement to take on the power of corporations that appear to be uh, on their way to full global domination how are we going to be able to build a big enough movement so that we can take on the corporations that are trying to control everything? Okay, well, now to engage the Pop Oracle, you, Rick, get to spin the Wheel of Eight. Na, 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 Wheel of Eight. Song number two. Letter to my landlord. Writing you this letter cause among the choices it's probably better Than listening to voices raging in my head saying point and shoot Then after you're dead your face meets my boot I don't know your name, it's better that way Cause I can't play this game, who knows what I'll say I feel like I'm burning, I've had it up to here It's time that you were learning the meaning of fear I live in these apartments like your private property Among your residents, most of us agree that you're a piece of shit How does that make you feel? We don't like you one bit and that's for real We think you're a thief that you don't care it seems your one belief whatever the market will bear whatever you can get away with what you can make us pay if we ever get justice you should fear that day landlord landlord but it's not just you it's all your kin the things you do cause the state we're in you bribe the politicians so they'd let you off lead now the legal situation just the one you need for you to make millions for profits to be high but even billions won't be with you when you die i hope you find the death you seek meet the devil that you serve if you live another week that's more life than you deserve landlord You're waging, there's no question who is winning But if there's any justice, this is only the beginning The next act in the play will be written by the tenants And until your dying day, you'll be paying penance Your assets will be seized, that's a given You profiteers of misery start spending time in prison And you can get a job, figure out what you do best You can keep the house you live in, but we're taking all the rest Landlord 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 
That works. And that was Letter to My Landlord from David Rovix. The answer to Rick Fellow's question, how do we build a movement large enough to take on the corporations that are trying to control the world and everything in it? Corporations have started to become landlords, especially after the 2008 collapse. So a lot of... Uh, yeah, rental housing ended up going to corporations in that context. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, and, uh, the I think the song is a, actually a very good answer to the to the pop question for the pop oracle because they we we are arguing about things like I mean we're we're arguing about things like uh, how. Uh, about discrimination against uh, different groups of people, for example, uh, against, uh, you know, we're talking about in in Portland, in all the great progressive cities, Olympia, Portland, Seattle, San Francisco, they're all sanctuary cities, right? We all, we all are so, uh, so progressive that we, 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 that we don't believe in, in uh, having uh, the immigration agents uh, arresting people, uh, you know who are undocumented, and so we we give uh, haven uh, supposedly to uh, we give sanctuary to undocumented uh, workers from uh, refugees, and and that on the face of it is such a lovely thing. Uh, but then, uh, if these cities that are giving sanctuary to these refugees are so progressive, then why can these refugees not afford to live in these cities? You know, Portland has lost over the in, in the past two in between the past two censuses, Portland lost more than fifty percent of its African American population, and that is just a one statistic. And you can be sure that the statistic for all kinds of other poor and marginalized groups is the same. Yeah, and, and the, this is so. So this whole question of like, uh, you know, how how do we, you know, do well? Yeah, can can trans people use the bathroom in city hall? Well, yeah, but they can. But can they li- afford to live in the city of Portland? Well, you know, only if they're rich trans people. You know, mm-hmm. only rich black people can live in Portland. Only rich white people. We're not. You know, it is a city for rich people, just like Seattle is and San Francisco is. Unless you were born there, born into the wealth of owning a house. Uh, that was bought, you know, at the right time, like a generation ago, then, you know, you're, you know, these are playgrounds for the rich. And it doesn't matter if you're black or trans or whatever else, you know, you can't live there unless you're rich or unless you were born into money, or at least the kind of money that involves owning a half million dollar house. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's where the song comes from. Rick, did you hear any particular answer in that to uh, a way forward to building that movement? Yeah. Um, well, the landlord gets to keep his own house and that's it. Yeah. You know, that, uh, <laughs> like that one, you know, as a sort of metaphor uh, for the larger issue, like the corporations, well, you know, the stockholders of corporations get to keep their own houses. <laughs> but, you know, or... Uh, Things that maybe I don't know. I I think I see some. I I would like to see corporate prop property more under some democratic control. That that corp. You know, I think socialism was really an idea that came about when people saw what was was coming, and we're living what was yeah. coming. That that corporations have gained more and more and more power by being able to control these major sectors of the means of production. Yeah. Well, and, uh, looking to the song for answers, I, I mean, I thought there were a few things there. First of all, just if you look at the the rent situation as a metaphor for our 
planetary climate situation, eventually we will have that large movement because everyone's drowning. We're all be drowning together. You know, at a certain point, the the it will be impossible to deny climate change because we'll be dying in it. I mean, we already are dying in but it. But that so, doesn't guarantee a movement, right? No, I'm just saying that 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 that's one idea. Is that when 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 the 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 things that make people uncomfortable reach enough people, then maybe we we are able to get into the streets the way uh, they are in France right now. So that that's just what the song is. Mm -hmm. That's one idea. But there's another piece of it which goes to what you were talking about: is this polarization of saying you're the bad guy. If we get rid of you, then because of whatever constituency you represent that re-stimulates me or whatever, uh, because of an, oh, I'll say, because of an area of complexity in intersectionality, the idea is to say, okay, well, you're the bad guy. If you go away, then we won't have this problem. Then we'll be, we'll be, we'll all be safe and everything will work. When what actually happens is we just get rid of one person. It actually, it may feel good for a moment, but it doesn't really feel good. It doesn't make anyone feel safer. The organization gets weaker. And so not to critique the song, but the to focus the anger at the landlord instead of the owner of the corporation. Like a lot of times the landlord is just someone who's working, who's agreeing to, to who gets free or cheaper rent so that they end up being the middleman who takes the brunt of the dissatisfaction that really is aimed at these larger forces, but we don't see them. We just see the guy who collects the rent and fuck him. But hey, but he is probably just an just he's he's in your group. Like the landlord is actually part in who's is has more in common and in solidarity with the people who live in the building than with the people who could fire him or get, you know, who have him on a very short leash anyway. Okay, that's true for a lot of landlords, but that's not the landlord I'm, I'm not. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's not the economy we're in either again, that again, you're talking about. Again, I'm not, I, I'm not critiquing the song. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about how the song answers this question. And the mm -hmm. question is, how do, we how do we build large movements? But what I hear in it is, and sort of what the back of the context was, is how can we stop doing what we're doing that keeps us from building this larger movement. Keep your eyes on the prize. That's what the song is saying, I think. I mean, in terms of the, the and also that's what I would say is the way we need to, to do. And I think also, also also what Rick is talking about is keep your eyes on the prize. Like okay. we're, we're talking about a society that's collapsing, a civilization, a world, an environment that's collapsing. Exactly. You know, we don't need to be arguing about who's on TV. Okay, but, but within our organizations, hmm. there is this impulse to lash out at the person next to you as opposed to lash yeah, out that's a big problem. at the larger thing. So you could keep your eye on the prize, but if the person next to you is trying to undercut you because instead of having the difficult conversation with you, they're going to get rid of it. We need to do it together. Right. We need solidarity to, to create a movement that is actually about things that matter to people all over the country and by and all over and, you, and this is the same all over the world this is not just an american thing the right. reason the why and it, as it expresses itself in terms of electoral politics the reason why people like trump and sanders are both so popular is for the same reason it's the same reason le pen is so popular in france and melanchon as well in france it's the same phenomenon these people are popular but because the working class is suffering and they want a party in power that actually represents their interests. Neither one of our parties represent the interests of the working class. And intersectionality is not a class thing. 
you know, but the, but the working class is a class thing, and the working class is a is a multicolored, multigendered phenomenon, and the and the working class is suffering. The working class has their rent doubled. My rent has doubled. This is typical of people yeah. living in Portland. Yeah, you know, this is this is the kind of issue that matters to people, but it's not the kind of issue that matters to most of the media, and it certainly is not the kind of issue that matters to the leadership of either of our. Oh political yeah, parties. no, they'd rather argue about yeah. refugee policies and bathrooms and stuff like that. But again, going to the question of how to build the larger movement and particularly in this complex situation that we find ourselves in, uh, particularly, like you said, in nonprofit groups and the, on the, on the progressive mm-hmm. side where it is, where we're striving to be, to include everyone and trying to figure out the complexity of all of that inclusion with what I would say are people, myself included, who are kind of shell-shocked by whatever it is that has been coming at us. Like we were talking earlier, my question was, will I ever, will I lose my mind before I'm able to have the question about anti-Semitism be a, a conversation that can happen without people attacking each other? And implicit in that is the sense that I know that at the, by the time I'm able to have that conversation, I might be too crazy to have it. And this is the situation, like we bring all these people who are shell-shocked by everything that you're talking about in your songs, David, and then say, okay, now run an organization together. And the first thing we all need to do is have a great big cry, scream, primal therapy, personal healing before we can even have a conversation. And so that's why when I focus on it, when I say, again, I don't, not to argue with the song, but when we put all of the criminality of our time onto any one individual that scapegoating impulse is just know who you're know who i guess the song what i got from it is and again this isn't what the song is saying but know who your enemies are is it yeah. is it the land are is your landlord your neighbor who's just trying to stay in their apartment no, or capitalism. is your landlord this, capital capitalist system about capitalism yeah. right, right capitalism right. is our problem right whether, right whether mm-hmm. we see that or not capitalism as, is our problem yeah 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 again and, and capitalism is why yeah. uh, capitalism is why F- facebook is capitalism and facebook is why we're all arguing about intersectionality instead of talking about the collapse in society and uh, and Facebook and capitalism and the landlords that own everything are the problem. These landlords also, they, we're talking about capitalism. This is, uh, you know, there's a, the prime group is a $7 billion corporation that owns 6,000 units in the country. And that's just one of many corporations that own Portland, to take just Portland as an example. The free market model of rent, what you have is gentrification happens in an area. Maybe they start sending Google buses up into Mission District or, you know, Bernal Heights. People are suddenly uh, confronted with people that are willing to pay a lot more for the same housing. And then those people get displaced. And then they go to Portland uh, because they're displaced from San Francisco and drive the rents up there. And there's this sort of recurring thing that, well, capitalism and housing are, you know, bad companions, just like capitalism and media. You know, it's like you sell people what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. You'll make more money. Yeah. You know, media and housing, there's lots of things. Medicine, you know, the, the GNP goes up in the United States every time somebody gets sick. 
You know, it's it's uh, you know that that there's things that don't work with capitalism, and that's why we need to start talking about alternatives and how can we start moving towards and looking at good models that are out there, hopefully democratic forms of socialism. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's it's a sad refrain that we're not able to solve all of this in just one. <laughs> you know, how come we never solve all the problems? That by the end of the show, we never have everything figured out. Well, you know what the the motto of the of Radio 8 Ball is mm. questions answered, answers question. Oh, good. It's, a, <laughs> it's an endless loop. We just, just, we just keep the conversation going and try and, and, uh, and to be serious about it, we may not, well, we definitely don't. We do not know the synchronicity, the true synchronicity of this session. We don't know what is going on in the world outside mm-hmm. of this basement while this is going on. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow that's going to – that we're going to be walking along and something's going to happen. We'll be like, wow, that totally relates to huh? – and we don't know what someone out there who's looking from the point of view of, ha- of wherever we head, get to in the future looking back and saying, wow, how wrong or right they were. And even if they were really wrong, they were wrong in a way that was so true. So that's why I like to just keep it rolling. We never get to an answer. We never, there's no argument because we just keep turning it around. Like, okay, well, this is one way to look at it. This is another way to look at it. Mm-hmm. This is not how you should run a country or a movement or anything but a podcast. You make a good radio <laughs> yeah, show. Yeah, <laughs> I, I hope. I hope it's a good radio show. You Only you out there listening can tell us that with your uh, nice reviews on iTunes and stuff. Sorry, capitalism. I it's uh, it's pernicious. It's pernicious. Capitalism. Yes, capitalism. Well, Rick, thank you for for coming down to the basement and for for being a part of this. And again, mm-hmm. thank you for taking me in when I was at a very low point and needed a friend. Absolutely, my pleasure. Yeah. A, yeah. Good. You were my landlord. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Radio 8 Ball. We hope today's musical divination brings and brought the sync to you wherever you are. For more info about our show, visit Radio8Ball.com, where you'll find the Radio 8 blog, our Patreon campaign, and where you can download our Radio 8 Ball app that allows you to engage the pop oracle directly in the form of every song ever performed in the history of Radio 8 Ball. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you give us good reviews and ratings, that really helps get the word out. Until next time, I'm your host, Andras Jones, wishing you lots of spine-tingling synchronicities, connections with the natural world, and all the inspiration you can handle. It's the Radio 8 Show. It's a good show.